welcome to the Universal Dancer podcast with your host, Leslie Zare, author of The Alchemy of Dance and The Alchemia Remedies, coming to you from Cairo, Egypt, the ancient land of Chem. Journey with us to explore sacred dance, the sacred arts, the mystical and the magical. Join a community of like-minded souls seeking to understand the cosmic dance of co-creation through the sacred arts. Come along and expand your mind, ignite your creativity, and explore something new and something old. Welcome. Welcome to the Universal Dancer podcast. And I'm Leslie Zare. I'm your host. So I have another interesting guest for you today, so let's just jump right in. Mr. Embodiment, Mark Walsh, is the author of Embodiment, Working with the Body in Training and Coaching, and Embodied Meditation. He hosts the Embodiment podcast with more than 1 million downloads and led the Embodiment conference with 1,000 teachers and 500,000 delegates. He founded the Embodied Facilitator Course and has trained over 2,000 embodiment coaches in over 40 countries. He went to Ukraine twice during the recent conflict and set up SaneUkraine.org, a charity now run solely by Ukrainian professionals to provide trauma and embodiment training to trainers, therapists, and coaches. He gained an honors in psychology and has taught widely in the corporate world. He's worked in war zones and entertained over 50,000 children. He's headlined International Coach Federation events, taught at Moscow State University, lived with the circus in Ethiopia, taught celebrities, and kissed a princess. Mark is an Aikido black belt with 25 years of experience in other martial arts, yoga, body work, improv comedy, conscious dance, and meditation. Let's welcome Mark to the show. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Leslie. It's so weird listening to all the things I've been up to in my life. <laughs> I don't really think of it in one place. I guess someone said exactly. you that, and I'm like, whoa, that's uh -huh. a lot of weird stuff. Yeah, so, uh, I've been busy. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's good to hear it every once in a while. So let's just jump right in and tell us a little bit about how you or where you first started with embodiment work. I think you've done conscious dance, but that's mm -hmm. not your main thing. I think you started with martial arts. So tell us how you got involved with all of that to begin with. Yeah, I was kind of a mess as a kid and as a teenager. Like I was really bright academically. I'd read all the books in the library, literally all the books in the sort of high school library. And I was drug addicted and alcoholic and broken hearted and suicidal. And I, I kind of said to myself, well, I'm supposed to be really clever because by Western academic standards, I was, was not anymore. And, but I said, if I'm so clever, like, why am I such a you man? You got over it. Yeah, why do I hate myself? I totally did. It's like, why do I hate myself in my life if I've read all these books? Like, the answer's not in the I was told, the answer, you know, my parents were teachers, and it's like, like, the answer should be in books, but it wasn't. So by the time I went to university to study psychology, I'd actually completely lost interest in academia. I didn't even go into the library at university. Um, but where, where I did go into was the Aikido Dojo. Um, for various reasons, I wanted to study a martial art. 
and there's sort of practical reasons for it. Uh, but one reason I think was I had sort of soul calling to embodiment, what I'd now call embodiment. And I remember going into an Aikido dojo at the university, like week one, they call it Freshers Week, right? Everyone else is getting drunk. And I went in there and I went, I need this. And I saw the movement and the discipline and the power and the beauty. And I just went, you know, it's a very dance-like Aikido. And I fell in love with it. And, um, you know, Aikido really saved my life. And Aikido opened up into other things, right? Because it's got a meditative aspect. So at a certain point, I started sitting and meditating. And also that I love doing Aikido with free movement. I got very creative in my Aikido. And then sort of at some point, someone said, hey, your Aikido is very dance-like. You should dance. And I was like, no way, not me, mate. I don't dance. I'm British working class. I don't dance. <laughs> talking about. I'm not dancing. Uh, and then eventually, I realized I just like moving. As I sort of freed up from the martial arts and studied partner dance and conscious dance and, um, you know, conscious dance. I generally do about once a week. Uh, it's been a part of my life for about 25 years. So it's probably not my thing I do most, but it's definitely part of my embodiment. You know, I'm going tonight dancing to a conscious dance. I did last Saturday. Uh, so it's pretty much part of my it's part of my practice, part of my life. Now, I probably do it more than martial arts these days. Yes, I think um, I think we know when we when we find that thing that um, is really pulling us. It it's like it shines, it's glowing or something, and you know that that's where you need to go. So, I I, I get that that when you encountered Aikido, you um, you knew you were in the right place, and that's important. It's important to follow that. Yeah, and I, I mean, think... off you. Go ahead. No, no. So for me, it's like finding life purpose or falling in love. You just know, right? Yes. This is the one. And, or she's the one, he's the one, whatever. And, or place that feels really at home. You know, you go to a city and you go, I want to live here. Um, for me, that was a, a place I, though it was very challenging to me. I wasn't very good at Aikido at first. Certainly it was very difficult for me. Uh, but I stuck with it. I think a hundred people started in Freshers Week. And by the end of the semester, there's only two of us left me and a friend wow and so I, but I stuck with it even though I wasn't very good and there's that like bloody minded determination but also something like feeling called to something you know like our, our own healing does call to us and I knew that's what I needed that discipline I was alcoholic at the time right so for me I know I needed some discipline in my life I needed father figures and I saw all these you know guys teaching and you know, later on I had great female teachers too but that was what I was longing for at first was male role models discipline a way to be powerful without being abusive and you know Aikido embodies that very literally and there was a certain point after you know I, I was a live-in Aikido student after university I spent three years living in dojos which is really unusual in the west um in different countries and um but there was a certain point where the kind of returns were kind of diminishing and this is happens to all embodiment students after a while like what you need now probably isn't what you needed 10 years ago and there's a courage in sort of letting go of that and you know in my case going to dance tango dance the five rhythms you know going to do some yoga going to do meditation like trying other things and i kind of made it my life's work to survey what is possible in this a conscious body conscious awareness world so usually people say hey what is embodiment and you can think of it as the umbrella term for all the conscious movement arts so conscious dance is definitely a part of that 
but also martial arts, yoga, meditation, uh, body therapy, body work, improv. They're kind of the areas. So all, all the areas that see the body as a part of who we are. And I think what you said is really important about that feeling of falling in love, because that is the, that's that attraction thing. I think that lets us know when we're on path is when we have that feeling like this, I'm in love or I'm in the right place or however it comes. But I think that's important. And, and people are always wondering what they should do with their lives. And I think that's the way to know, like follow your passion and see where it takes you and, and what, what comes of that really. Yeah. I've coached a lot of people on life purpose and, you know, the sort of follow your bliss is, is really helpful that like, well, what brings you alive? It's not necessarily what makes you happy because it can also be what breaks your heart. You know, in yes. my case, I just noticed that I kept turning up to Aikido, even though my life was chaos and I had a lot of problems. I was every Tuesday, Thursday, I was there at the club, you know, and I, I still know the times because they were just like, you know, in my, like, just, I just, that's what I was doing, eight till 10 on the Tuesday and Thursday, you know, while at university. And then later on, more. Um, yeah, so it's like, what do you keep doing no matter what? And it's pretty unreasonable, like staying up all night, dancing for rhythms or going to karate every day or getting up early to meditate, even though you've got kids. Like, it's pretty unreasonable what we do. There, there is a sense of it has to be driven by love. Certain we, insanity. Yes, yeah, you've got to be a little bit crazy. because Otherwise, it's like we just watch TV <laughs> like everybody else. Right? But I think also, as you pointed out with the Aikido, that that there are there are positive ways to do things. Like um, if you have that energy to, to strike out, well, martial arts is a really good thing to do with that. So I think these impulses, there's nothing wrong with these impulses. It's about channeling them into something that productive isn't the right word, but something that's, uh, that helps you to grow. And I think all of those, again, that's that's another important thing to do is to kind of assess what are those things that pull me. And if they are even some, if you would describe it as violence or something, it doesn't mean, need to be violence against someone. Maybe it is just that active like punching. Maybe that's what needs to come out of you. So I think um, there are healthy ways to channel all of these impulses if you can just try different things or follow whatever it is that's that's pulling you. And yeah. as yeah. you said, maybe you're not good at it, but it doesn't really matter. It's it's what it's the energy that you're putting into it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a fighter at heart. If someone if I'd have been born, and one of my teachers said, look, if you'd have been born a thousand years ago, they would have just given you a sword and said, get on with it. Exactly. And, you know, that's an instinct. That, that is yes. an instinct. We are predatory animals. Like like that, and some of us more than others. Like that is an instinct we have. And it might as well be channeled. You know, the Japanese know this. Like all Japanese school kids do Budo. So Budo martial arts isn't um, isn't learning to fight. Like Japan's a very safe place. You don't need to learn. You don't need to fight in Japan. You know, that's in the riot police or something. But it's a, it's character training. And I think we massively lack this in the West. So sports used to be this. Um, you know, most Western sports were invented as character development, usually in the sort of British public school system. 
um now they're not really seen that way though you'll see this reinvented like extreme sports and climbing they're kind of reinventing the idea character development pushing your edge you know doing things that build qualities as a person and, and this is the difference between embodied art and simply like a sport or an activity right which is great you can go to the gym you can exercise but what are you trying to develop as a trait and sometimes this is conscious dance is more state orientated which is good you know like i go to conscious dance i relax i let go of my problems i immerse myself in a process i come out the other side of that with an altered state and usually much more creative i've got great new ideas for work to resolve conflicts and there's a, a state shift on the dance floor music is a drug right uh, and there's other ways like i do breath work for that too or fasting there's other ways to get state shifts and then I'm also very interested in trait shifts. How do we develop ourselves as people over time? And where people have to be a bit cautious there is we tend to pick the embodied practice that suits our neurosis, right? So are we getting into conscious dance because we need to be I know I've got students who need to be more expressive and be a bit wild and a bit free I'm like go to conscious dance this is going to be great for you and they're you know they're stiff and they find it difficult but then they get into it and they develop that side of themselves but then I've got other students who are all about being crazy wild and free and they do nothing but crazy wild and free dance and it's actually the last thing they need and they should probably go to martial arts so you know who needs what at what point in their life is a really interesting question I've I've found one size definitely doesn't fit all. And, you know, you've had lots of great guests on, so I'm sure you've seen all the different ways of doing things that are out there. But also going back to to what you said about um, being a warrior and in Japan, you know, they, they pursue this, but as a, as a training, um, I feel that in, in Western culture, not only have we become disembodied, but everything has to be so safe. It's <laughs> yeah. like we're wrapping everybody in cotton wool and you can't experience anything. I mean, like with children, when you're raising children, it's, it's frightening because they're going to do anything. They're daredevils. They're going to, and it is frightening, but I think you have to only stop them if you really think that they're going to get hurt badly. Because it's when they touch the stove and they get burned that they learn. Yes, if they're going to have third degree burns, sure. that's not a good sure. idea. But nobody's experiencing anymore. And, and I think that this whole disembodiment has really been a progression. And it makes you wonder if that isn't like where we're going as far as into this kind of new age where we're going to turn into robots or something. I mean, maybe they're preparing us to not, <laughs> not know how to be in our, yeah. yeah, not to know how to be in our bodies anymore or not to want to be or to think it's not a good thing. And I think the reaction to that is, is this embodiment movement where people are, are realizing, no, hang on a minute, that's a very unhealthy place to be. And I think this over safety thing is also unhealthy there yeah okay there needs to be yeah. a balance i guess yeah for sure i mean the problem with uh i can say the western world you know to a le slightly lesser extent where you are but you know you can talk about asia as well but i'll just say the west for simplicity um 
is that it's too soft and too easy so people get weak and um, people then have an expectation of safety which is a problem for several reasons one it's impossible you can you know you could die of a brain aneurysm now like death is just there hanging yes. over you two bad things happen whether it be abuse accidental things like car accidents like the war in ukraine like this things in life you need to be tough for you need to build strength and the way to build strength is not to protect people from difficulty it's to deliberately expose oneself to difficulty in a as you say not to a traumatic not in a traumatic way not in a but in a calibrated choiceful consensual graded way and that's what a good you know that's what cold showers do i, I weight lift weightlifting is that you're you know i go somewhere three times a week and do something very difficult and if it's not difficult it's not working but the the, the practice of weightlifting for me isn't about muscles you know rather than moving the furniture what do i need biceps for right it's the practice of doing something hard regularly because if you don't you get weaker and weaker and weaker and then when it comes to your father's funeral or your wife's cancer or your children going through drug addiction you are not able to handle it so as well as doing things that are pleasant and easy and fun which you know i have a sauna every week too right like i'm i'm a big fan of massage i'm a big fan of pleasure i'm italian but i'm like I'm good for you yeah <laughs> you know? so it's like i'm a big fan of that too we need to go with the body we need to enjoy ourselves we need to say yes to the body but we also need to do things that are difficult. And yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There is an agenda to say the world should be totally safe. Like that's what happened during the Chinese plague is people said, hey, everything should be totally safe. It's impossible. Like total yeah. safety means we're all prisoners. Right? That's yeah. what total safety requires is you being in a cage. That's the, the safest place you can be is locked up at home. <laughs> That's not the yes. best place. In a padded room. In a yes. padded room, in a straitjacket, <laughs> that's the safest place for yeah. everyone. Or then you're safe. Computer, not touching anyone, not going out. In a way, it's not because, you know, health comes from co-regulation and interaction and touching other people as well. But, you know, there's a case that's made there. Uh, and that idea that, that life should be safe, that's not the ultimate value in life. Yeah. Like like my mum said, you know, go skateboarding, go go out in the woods, go with your friends all day, come back for dinner here's a sandwich go you know go run around the fields you know like like I want you to eat some dirt I want you to fall over and twist your ankle like you know as far as I'm concerned if you're raising kids and they don't break a bone that's child abuse like it's like you know what I mean like, uh -huh. like, like this is how we learn and exactly make safety the ultimate virtue is to make us all prisoners and um, plus yes. there's this this agenda of the body is bad and we should somehow transcend the body and all be uploaded into a cloud that's a, that's a sort of tech piece on top of that no and and it's it's unrealistic there's no way that somebody can be safe and i think we as you mentioned earlier we need resilience and the only way to to build resilience is to challenge yourself and maybe you can do that in a controlled way or not but we are not adaptable if we if we're so worried about everything that that you know anything coming at us because we won't know how to deal with it so it. Um, I, I say in my workshops i say this isn't a safe space i say this is an ethical space it's a respectful place you know there'll be consent in here but i say this isn't a safe space you can get up because what the younger generation often mean in the west by safe they don't mean physically safe they they mean that they won't be emotionally upset right yes that's not possible you can't learn without challenge 
So, you know, I say yeah. to them, no, this in the, in the sense of safe as in that you'll always have positive emotions. And what it leads to is just very controlling people. Because if you can't manage yourself, you have to manage the world. I have to yes. stop what you say. I have to stop what you do, right? Because that's the only way they can try desperately to do the impossible to establish some sense of security. And the most controlling people are fearful people. Because like you said, it ha they have to manage their their external world. No, in Egypt, like anything goes. And, and, and when I go back to the US, I remember um, my family are all uh, theater people. So used to go to the theater a lot, lived close to New York City. And then my sister was telling me that now in the theaters, they have to give you these trigger warnings before you go into the theater. So they I don't know if they make an announcement. I haven't been to the theater since this happened. They make an announcement or it's in the program that that there's going to be suicide like they do in uh, in movies or, or shows now. There's you know that there, there may be a lot of blood or there may whatever. Sure. And I thought, but this is the part of the creative process is to make you feel something. Yeah. And, and got, yeah, go on. And, and yes, a person could be triggered, but isn't it about being triggered and then finding support or working through whatever it is, as opposed to never going into any, or being afraid to go to the theater, being afraid to go to any, to watch a movie because you're worried that you're going to be triggered. I think we need yeah. to have coping mechanisms rather than removing anything that could possibly disturb anybody. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm I'm hashtag triggered, right? So, I mean, I'm, I've studied trauma. My mentor worked with abuse survivors who have real trauma. Uh, you know, I've worked in multiple war zones, including fairly recently. And um, what people, I, I did a post on Facebook yesterday called Californian versus Ukraine trauma. And I, you know, first world trauma versus first world war trauma. <laughs> and there's a big difference. And on a way, in a way, it's great that the world, like in, I've studied trauma for 20 years, right? And it's great in that time that the world has become more trauma aware. That's a really good thing. You know, people like Bessel van der Kolk, Pete Levine, Gabriel Maté, they've, they've done a great service to the world by making this stuff popular. You know, seeing Prince Harry, Harry do a thing with Gabriel Maté the other day, hearing Joe Rogan talk about trauma and embodiment. It's like, wow, this stuff's catching on, which 20 years ago. It's everywhere. And yes. there's a little bit of overshoot. As the bar to trauma, inverted commas, is lowered. Now, there's this sense in that because trauma is subjective to an extent. And um, there is a way in which it's, you know, you can't, how do you say what overwhelms someone, you know, through their resources, cultural subjectivity? Lowering the bar of what is trauma has been a good thing because it enables us to talk about daily things. But, you know, when I'm talking to my, you know, I was talking to the team I, that I supervise in Ukraine two days ago about you know gang rapes and torture and things like that it just puts into perspective people saying they're triggered which is a term i reserve to refer to a reenactment of actual trauma and then there might be you know genuine trigger warnings about things like rape might be quite useful on a film actually um, however i think that culture could be taken way too far way too far and certainly you know, my days are bizarre because because of the online context. I'll be talking to Ukraine one minute and literally California 30 minutes later. 
and people have got a real different surreal. sense. Surreal. Yes. It's a little bit surreal. So I think the whole field's going to have to be rewritten to accommodate the sort of upper and lower limits of what's now called trauma. Sometimes it's big well, time. And hopefully, as these things are kind of brought more into common awareness or, or whatever you want to call it, that the, also the resources will. So if people start to realize that they have triggers or perhaps they studied trauma, that they will pursue something like even just reading a book about trauma or watching a film about it or something. So that if these are kind of, I, I don't want to say minor, but less major than, than living in a war zone, that they will do something about it, that they, they will find those resources, especially if you're in a Western country that's affluent and, and the, probably these resources are available to you. Hopefully people will go out and find them. Yeah, it's great that there's less stigma. I mean, you know, I was speaking to some some movement teachers and certainly any conscious dance teachers listening to this, like, just go on YouTube for a few hours. You know, you can find great lectures by all the big names I just mentioned, you know, and then there's local ones. I like was talking about Yasmin, who's local there in Egypt. And, you know, there's people I know talking about Slavic. The American kind of centric model is very culturally myopic. Um, so often it needs adapting you know, when I'm, there's things like I've got American teachers that taught me things that I would be, I'd be eating alive if I tried them in Ukraine. And the same, even in England, uh, you know, Israel is different again. There's a lot of great Jewish teachers um, who do trauma work. Irish is my own background. Less of that, less of that narrative. Um, African-American, there's some good teachers coming out of that perspective. I haven't seen much coming out of India or Japan, um, but it's like the cultural piece is really important to, fully acknowledge and take into account and we are seeing a slightly biased perspective because it pretty much all comes from the west coast of sort of canada and america currently um and the adaptations are interesting but yeah it's great there's less stigma uh, that strikes me as super positive yes and and resources it's it is all out there like you said it's on youtube listen to somebody and and no you know start the process if you're a teacher aptly teacher who works with the body is absolutely. I spoke to some Feldenkrais teachers who hadn't heard of Pete Levine. I was like, "Where have you been for the last twenty years? Under a rock?" <laughs> it's like you have to spend money on a course. Just listen to a few good podcasts. You, you don't have to become like a trauma expert or a therapist, uh -huh. right? You don't have to be as expert as she is or some of my colleagues. You know, you just have to like, like I'm an educator. I'm not a therapist. I just tell people about trauma, and that's huge because once people know what the symptoms are, they can be encouraged to get help. They know they're not going crazy. It normalizes it. It takes away the shame. Like that, just even just like a few hours of trauma information is huge. And actually, this is where the war in Ukraine. Someone pointed out to me uh, yesterday is unique. I spoke to someone who's an ex-British serviceman and they said, wow, it's great. Um, the team out there are training a lot of soldiers currently. And normally there's a war and then 20 years of denial, pain, alcoholism and violence later, they look at trauma. Whereas Ukraine, first time in history during war, they're looking at trauma. And this wow. is actually, I get tingles saying it, like the charity that, that I support you know, the mission of saying Ukraine is, is is to make Ukraine the most trauma aware country in the world. And it's that's obviously it shouldn't have to be right. An ideal world would be no fucking war. Yeah. But the second place ideal world is people are learning about trauma. 
And that is happening on a large scale in Ukraine. And that's the first time in human history that's happened during a war and not when the guys come home, beat their wives, the kids have issues, you know, drug addiction, not like after Vietnam, not, you know, because there's this weird amnesia that happens after every major conflict with trauma where society sort of forgets about it and then it gets rediscovered and it goes from shell shock to combat fatigue to PTSD. Um, the possible exception of Israel is really good on the trauma front. And this is the first time I've really seen it like during a war. The other thing is the, the intensity of this war is unique in living memory. So there hasn't been a war as intense as this for Western nations and I'd class Ukraine as one. Um, since world war one so just a fun fact for you no two countries with mcdonald's have ever been to war until russia started invading its neighbors because yeah. up to so the, what we had is what's called the great peace so with the exception of the yugoslav conflict in europe north america there's been an exceptionally long period of peace which is why we're all soft okay but it's also we've in that time forgotten what really violent ugly war like american civil war world war one looks like so what you've got is a lot of trauma but you've also got a lot of cool psychologists you've got you know we're sending soldiers tiktok videos about trauma and they're on the front lines no. looking at their tiktok yeah. you know much maligned wow. platform and i think for good reasons but that's what they use so for us it's you know it's possible so tell us more about your your journey to the ukraine what this this organization how did you come to start doing this and and then develop this organization you've got to have a hobby right <laughs> <laughs> what a hobby wow yeah, well i mean i've been involved with ukraine for 10 years i first trained coaches there about 10 years ago um then this uh, the russians um, invaded the eastern region um kind of pseudo civil war but it was really a low-level russian invasion in donbass region um, and then my colleagues asked me to teach some trauma work because at the time there was very few trauma psychologists in Ukraine. There was a you know, low-level war that's been going on for the last eight years since Maidan, which I was also involved with. That was interesting, another story. Um, but it's a big protest that kicked off there. Um, so anyway, they said, can you come to this trauma training to help us out? I said, well, there's not really much money in it, but okay, I'll do it as a favor. And um, all my interpreters were beautiful single young women turned out this was a setup and uh, i ended up marrying one of them and um that way i <laughs> kept coming go. back and they got free training so everybody, <laughs> everybody wins um my wife didn't know about this to be fair so um this was just sort of how it landed um we won't tell her she, she was like why do you need six interpreters uh so this is yeah anyway so because of my wife i had lots of contacts there so when the invasion happened this time i felt very strongly about it and my first instinct was to go fight because that's my my nature. And then my friend Alex and another friend said, um, Mark, why don't you go teach trauma? That way you won't get shot and you're actually good at teaching trauma. And I went, oh, yeah. Uh, so I went out there with my friend Polish Pete. We delivered a load of medical supplies to a children's hospital that was in dire need. So we delivered. We basically did international drug dealing with about 75K of uh, medical supplies. Uh, so that was fun. Uh, drug running across borders. Um, and then uh, I trained a whole bunch of young psychologists, about 100 in the first instance, to do trauma education. Um, I spoke to the local psychologists and they said, look, we're overwhelmed you know, as therapists, but what would be really helpful is if you train people to teach people about trauma. 
So there's something called trauma first aid that we train them in, which you don't have to be a therapist to do, which is quite quick and quick to train and something trauma education, which again is not therapeutic, but educational. So we train them in that. And I did two trips doing that. Um, and since then, eventually set up a Ukrainian charity. I gave all the, you know, gave all the control over to some young Ukrainian women who wanted to run it as a charity. And um, now I'm a supervisor for them. And I, I think time of recording, they've trained probably about 16,000 people. Um, they trained like all the teachers and nurses in Lviv, for example, which is a major city. Uh, and they're now training um, doctors, kids, the military, all kinds of people. So there's, there's yeah. a quick question. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, when you put it that way, maybe this should become part of our educational system. I mean, maybe from the very beginning in schools, we should be taught that could be a useful thing to be taught in school. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the yeah. now has the most trauma aware education system. Literally every teacher yeah. of all age groups in the city has been trained because what's happening is they had a lot of refugee kids with different trauma issues. They didn't understand what was going on. Uh, every doctor and nurse in the city has been trained. This is a major city. Um, and like, so now it's the most trauma aware healthcare system in any city in the world. Right. Wow. So, but this should be standard everywhere. Like, I'm shocked that exactly. doctors don't know about trauma. So much ill health is related to trauma. Yeah. I go to the doctor yeah. and I'm shocked they don't know what trauma is. It's like, come on. You know, one of my progressive MD friends sent me the Gabal Mate documentary not long ago. And I was like, okay, great. Well done for catching up. I've been doing this for 20 years, but it's nice. You're, you know, <laughs> nice your doctors have got, he's got legitimacy somehow because he's a doctor. Exactly. Um, yes. it should be like teachers should know about this so when little johnny's acting out and can't concentrate or little Susie's withdrawn and interact they understand these things could be trauma related yes no absolutely and if we did that and and we started at that point with the children while they're children rather than waiting until they're adults and reliving all of this in in different ways you know we could perhaps nip it in the bud and and be nice wouldn't it not <laughs> and well, not have to live with it all our lives so that it's really you know well, in, the, in the bible in it says psyche. the sins of the father will be visited unto the son for five generations and i think all the bibles in the world this is in the old testament so for the jews too should just cross that out and go unless you get some really good trauma therapy then you can sort it in one generation it's like yes. that five generations of suffering bullshit is that it's not necessary anymore. No. And maybe it was then, but I think, yeah, I mean, I think that is our, our new, the new age. I don't want to keep using that phrase, but I mean it as a new age, like that we as in, as aware people will be moving into is that we have the ability, we have the ability to heal what happened to our ancestors because we are aware, first of all, that it is a possibility. I think generations before didn't think, and, and maybe, as you said, you're quoting from the Bible, if they're reading something like this, then maybe it's really ingrained in the psyche that this isn't going to happen. I'm not going to be able to do this. But I think people now are aware that they can. They can heal their own trauma or physical issues, and they can heal it back through time through the generations so yeah the um, stuff. 
stuff too. Yeah. I mean, it's a tremendous opportunity we have. And I, as long as we don't get too weak or too decadent or too uploaded to the crowds, cloud sort of technological, I think there is a unique opportunity. You know, trauma is in the Iliad. Trauma's been around forever. And it's like some tribal sure. people have had, you know, rituals and way of dealing with it. And there may have been advantages when people were more active and more, you know, co-regulated in social groups. But but these Western technological additions, and they are, you know, the, the psychotechnologies of trauma, trauma, trauma therapies are really great additions to the human race in the same way as, you know, mindfulness from the East is a really great addition to the, everyone should know this. Like it's for me, it's like, you know, mindfulness is just like a boon for humanity in the same way as trauma therapy is. So, um, you know, the bringing together of this psychotechnology is really fantastic. And it does give me hope. And I, I feel like we live in a world of just luxury you know, we have an app, right? Just a quick plug for the app, but there's, there's a reason for it. We call the embodiment app. You can go on there and it's free and you can look at hundreds of Zoom classes of everything. So I'm just opening it now and there's movement for pregnancy, beginner's chair yoga, Pilates, somatic movement class, setting healthy boundaries, biodanzas, deep relaxation. That's just literally the top classes that are on today. And like you can go on your phone and get onto an online class, maybe taught from washington or portugal or anywhere so yeah i mean the the this was very different when i started studying embodiment there was no five rhythms class in leeds you know i, li I lived in this little northern industrial town a bit like detroit or something right there was there was a little bit of yoga i was lucky there was an aikido dojo i was lucky there wasn't one in the nearest town you know so it's like now we're just living in this ridiculous abundance of this stuff to the point where it's almost like a supermarket and people take it for granted, maybe. Yes, it is. It, there has to be a balance also between what's available and it, it becoming possibly too commercial. We we need quality in what we're doing as well. So, but yes, the availability of it is is astronomical. I, I know when I, le I left the U.S. in 1986, I think, there was nothing. There was no, uh, I don't think we even, I mean, it, it, unless you were in a major city, I don't think there was yeah. even yoga, yoga Out classes. The Bay there. Area, you'd struggle to find much, right? Like a yeah. couple of little hubs, maybe central New York or, you know. San so, Francisco, yes, yeah. things have changed. And we need to take advantage of that. Let's use it. We have the tools, so we, we can use them. Yeah, I've, I want I've, to refer... Go ahead. No, no, no. Go, go on. I want to refer to a quote from your book, because I think this is interesting. Again, talking about society. We numb to pain, but in doing so, numb to pleasure too, and also to our internal ethical compass. We forget ourselves to forget the world, and in doing so, turn off that which would drive us to make it better. I think that's so interesting. That was quite profound for me because I have done some uh, trauma work, but I hadn't really thought about the fact that we, yes, we're, we're shutting down from all the pain, but we're shutting down to the pleasure too. That explained a lot to me. <laughs> Okay. about myself so that was very people, illuminating yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you can't selectively numb you can disembody and people do it unconsciously you know through trauma through overwhelm through overstimulation various things right just the modern world the speed of it and it's not their fault right they're just trying to cope but once you numb you numb your ability to feel pleasure 
as well as pain. So it's a common trauma thing, but you know, again, just general disembodiment. But also we're numbing our compass, like you talked about earlier, the sort of com the compass of purpose, of like practice, like hey, you know, being in love with something. You're you're numbing the ethical compass. That's it's like they, you know, all the Russians doing atrocious things right now in Ukraine. You know, they're coming from a traumatized culture. And this is not an excuse. This is not a moral get out of jail free card. You know, these people should be put in jail. And traumatized cultures do violence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, traumatized cultures do violence. So there's a vicious circle of trauma and violence. And when we're cut off from ourselves, we're cut off from that quiet voice inside that people used to call a conscience before it became you know out of fashion well and i think that the work that you're doing in ukraine speaks to that because this is what you want is is you want to be able to work with people that are being traumatized so that then they don't go on and traumatize someone else whether that be their children or them then invading another country but yeah if the healing can happen like while the while the the wound is being inflicted then hopefully it doesn't perpetuate on into other the victim becoming the aggressor kind of thing yeah and that, that definitely happens i've seen that in the middle east that can definitely happen victims can become aggressors there's a sort of drama triangle um and a sort of trauma numbing that could lead to you know I, you know my family are from ireland right like i've done peace work in northern ireland as well and you know that cycle was actually broken now northern ireland is not perfect today but you know i grew up in the 80s with the ira blowing things up i have family in the british army and i have family back in my history who were shall we say quite republican and probably enough to say that and that violence uh stopped people had enough people started doing grassroots peace projects and youth projects and now trauma work like people in northern ireland went fuck this right like so it is possible to stop it northern Ireland's go to belfast now it's a great city you know someone said glass beautiful glass buildings we didn't dare build these 10 years ago you know 20 years ago <laughs> no so it's a great city fun friendly great party town good vibe lovely people so yeah belfast friendliest town in, in, in great britain yeah so um yeah there, there is possibilities of breaking those cycles when when people have had enough well, and hopefully that, you know, this will give them then the skills also to, to be able to, to heal and do it in a very positive way. I want to ask you a question that seems kind of obvious, but there's a point here. Why is embodiment so important? So we've kind of talked sure. around this uh, issue, giving examples and all of that but what what happens like what really happens to us or doesn't happen to us when we're disembodied okay so let's quick answer why is it important your own personal happiness and the ongoing survival of the human race there we go uh just as a quickie so let's go through i we and it so on an i perspective uh individuation so you go through your own life purpose your own blossoming your own who are you that can only happen through embodiment. Like, what do I want? You know, we're talking about that with radar. Yeah, also health. If you're not embodied, you're going to be unhealthy. But it's kind of not my main area, but not listening to the signals of your body will end badly health-wise, you know, uh, whether that be addictions or not listening to their you know, various health problems. Um, so we've got the I, the we, relationally. You, if you're not embodied, you cannot have intimate, pleasurable, connected, meaningful relationships. We have to connect to ourselves to connect to others. 
And that is, again, how society works, how happiness works. You know, happiness is very dependent on our relationships. Uh, and simply, the it, you, whatever you do, you'll be more effective in. So I don't know anyone who's become less effective as in their job, whatever that is. And I've trained almost every, prof I've worked with lawyers, doctors, soldiers, nurses, chefs, you name it, I've worked with them over the years. Like for a few years, I was kind of like trying to prove a point. So any group I hadn't worked with, I'd work with for free. You know, I'd be like, okay, you angry chefs, great. Let's do it, Gordon Ramsay, you know? <laughs> free kids, great, let's go. Because you, know? you want your food to be good. <laughs> yeah, angry chefs are fun. They are, they are like Gordon Ramsay. So angry. So you like, you get more effective. Um, sometimes people go for a stage where they get a bit sensitive. You know, sometimes people do conscious dance, go for a stage where they're a bit too expressive and they need to learn a bit better self-regulation. Uh, I've seen that happen, but that just means that they've got one skill but not another. So I break embodiment down into a set of um, embodied intelligence in my books and YouTube and all the rest of it. Um, so the embodied intelligence is a really nice concrete model. Corporate world likes it because I go, these are skills you can get better at and any one of them will enhance your life, whether it be self-awareness, self-regulation, empathy, or impact and influence to take the main four. Is that but okay answer? I think Yes, I think you covered <laughs> just about everything there. But what I found is that I think a lot of people don't even realize that they're not embodied, that maybe they don't know what that feels like. So, I mean, I think that's where obviously these different practices, but that was the first interesting thing to me was that there are so many people that don't even realize that they're not embodied that they yeah. have to first be shown what it means to be embodied because they've never had that experience or they've had it but they didn't know what it was or how to relate to it yeah so a little like some basic frameworks really help you know accessible language you know whether it be embodied intelligence or accessible trauma language whatever you know it's like i'm not angry you know you you can't feel <laughs> that you're not feeling right you can't feel that you're not yeah. feeling so what people do see though is the impact it's like why yoga teacher shiny why let's take my pa zeba 50 years old looks 30 has loads of energy absolutely beautiful from an inside out not physical kind of way great mother great colleague pleasant to be around everyone notices those things why is she such a great mom why is she such a nice colleague why is she so hot? I don't think she'd mind me saying that. I'm not harassing her if she's out there. She's a happily married woman. Um, so those are the things people notice. And they say, hey, Zeebs, Zeba, okay, hey, Zeba, that's her name. What, why, how come you're like this? And I'm like, how come I'm like this? Well, that's, Zeba says, I do yoga, I do meditation. Okay, so I think we might not always do it, but we see it. The other thing is people feel it. Like I've, done meditation with like police and military and they go oh, oh that feels better yeah you do it right you give it in a language they can find accessible you take someone conscious dancing it's like how does it feel they're like it feels great like it's the evidence is there you yes get people through the door exactly and it's very experiential once you once you've had the experience and then you know oh this is what embodiment feels like then i think you can relate to it but for those people who haven't, again, they may have had the experience, but not even realized that that they were having it or 
how to pursue it really so yes yeah yeah little by little it's catching on good stuff catches on you know people kind of look and go wow you look healthy or wow you seem much calmer than most people or you know like my students in ukraine going why are you not panicking when the rockets start flying and i'm like because i have training i have 20 years of self it also is not my first radio right but it's like the alarm goes off everyone panics i don't you know i'm scared i'm scared someone's trying to kill us but i say like guys take a breath we've got three minutes to get to the bomb shelter we're in known danger for three minutes take a breath let's walk there let's not rush because people get hurt when you rush and then they go what's he doing i want some of that well yeah leading by example absolutely physician heal thyself <laughs> and then yeah, be an example right. to everybody yeah, else it's, it's, yeah. wars are easy it's family dinners that are hard to steal a phrase because <laughs> that's deeper dealing with my business my family yeah. christmas dinners that's the difficult stuff no and it's very interesting to see people and what they can tolerate and what they can't i mm. i'm somebody that suffers from anxiety and there are certain things that I'm not sure a war zone, but you know, there's a lot of things I do doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. Mm. I can easily get, and people are saying, how can you do that? Then there's other things that are going to bring me to my knees because mm. again, they're, they're probably related to something much deeper, but, um, it's, yeah, it's not even. And, and I think, um, again, resilience, I guess, the more you can relate what doesn't bother you to those situations when you're in anxiety and try to use whatever those skills are that you have. Right. And you, you put your finger on it that it's skills. So if you have a practice, that's just the state practice, like you do the breath work or you go dancing, you get high. I'm going to go dancing tonight. I know it's going to feel good. Okay. But if I'm not building skills, how do I take that into the rest of my life? You know, I've been a big fan of getting yoga off the mat or getting, you know, dance off the dance floor and um, Aikido off the mat. I did my dissertation on that. So it's this for me is the key thing, because it's like otherwise, if yes, you feel great twice a week at yoga or dance or whatever, that's great. But what about the other? I don't do the maths, however many hundreds of hours that is in a week. You know, the other was 150 hours, or whatever. It's like there's a lot of time when we're not on the dance floor feeling good in some sort of escapism holiday. Or even relating. I know for me, if I if I have anxiety and I just start doing the, the breathing, like immediately I just, I ground. But it's getting myself to, to remember to do the breathing because when you're in this anxious right. state, obviously you're all over the place and, and that isn't the first thing that... So I do think, like you said, it's it's a skill. It's a practice. The more often I have anxiety, remember to do the breathing, then hopefully the next time I have anxiety, I also remember to do the breathing. Yeah, you need to train it because under pressure, your brain goes to become exactly. very conservative. It goes back to what it knows. And, you know, this is a bit counterintuitive because in the West, we're taught you learn things once. Like I say, hey, what's the capital of Egypt? And you tell me it's Kairaga. Great. I know that. I know it. I know it. We say like as a verb. Okay. But to know 
a breath technique, I can't just teach you it once. You need to practice it. You need to embed it. You need to make it a habit. That's, you know, for me, when the air alarm went off, when the rocket started firing, my habit was to breathe ground and center. My habit was to practice ABC centering, which is something I teach, right? Like that, that to me was just in my system at that point, but I've been doing it 20 years. So the average person that's going to go out the window. So yeah, we have to train things and we have to pressure test them, which is where the doing difficult things, not just yummy, nice things comes in. Well, let's, let's jump to that. You have an embodied facilitators course. So what, who is that for and and what do you do in this training? Okay, yeah. So that was um, just to be clear. I'm not selling anything because we're not starting another one until uh, next January. So um, we have an annual course. We actually call it Keck now, the Certificate of Embodiment Coaching. Uh, it took over from a live course, so now we have an online course, so people around the world can do it. And then we have live trainings to sort of get their fifth in the flesh experience. And you know, if they're in Australia, they might not make any. If they're in Europe, they might make a bunch. If they're in America, they might make one or two. And um, the online training spread out over time. We do that every year, training coaches to work with the body. So that's my day job, right? Not the Ukraine stuff. Uh, we do a sort of, you know, a trauma coaching addition to it. We do a bit just sort of for civilians who don't want to be coaches. Uh, but the main thing I do is I train embodiment coaches. And I'm an absolute teaching geek. So I, I really enjoy, you know, I'm third generation teacher. So training teachers or coaches in this case, I, I love like that's that's what I love. That's on my main thing. So we do that. We have other online courses, uh, something called toolkit. We do little marketing courses because most coaches are rubbish at that. Uh, we do. We, we've got one. I think it starts tomorrow by the time this goes live uh, on embodied spirituality, exploring what that looks like together. I mean, basically, we Embodiment Unlimited is the company, and we we have a course every month or two, but the main coach training doesn't start till January or February. And what are people learning? Are they learning different modalities, or this is something that you have created yourself, or what does what does this entail? Yeah, so first of all, they get deeper into their own embodiment, right? Because that's the foundation. So we're we're really good at helping people get embodied uh, in a few months um with a minimal time investment which is not nothing but it's not 10 hours a day because my students haven't got it's five hours a week five or six hours a week which is not nothing it is a commitment but it's we found like there's certain things we want them to do and we've got very good at figuring out what gets people in their bodies and if they haven't got time to do two hours conscious dance a night which would be bloody lovely but they can't always do that um so yeah that's Oh, sorry, the line cut out. Maybe this could be edited. We're live. Okay. So that's the first thing, getting people into their bodies. Uh, second thing is co practical coaching tools. So again, someone might do martial arts or yoga or conscious dance. They'll be very in their own body. But how do you bring that to a businessman? How do you bring that to a busy single mom? So actually, it's a few concrete tools like centering and something with the four elements. So people can see all this on YouTube if they're curious to just have a look for free or on the app. Um, so we give concrete tools. and But we also, as you kind of said, we give an overview of embodiment. So I'm kind of like the overview guy. I'm not the most embodied. I'm not the best coach. I'm definitely not the best dancer. I'm not the toughest martial artist. But I've sort of done a bit of everything. So I can say to one student, you should do Feldenkrais. And they're like, what's that? I'll tell them. And so I say to another student, hey, you might want to try doing five rhythms. If you can't find five rhythms, I really recommend movement medicine. 
or open floor, you know, and they'll say, what's that? I said, well, you know, go check it out. Here's a teacher I recommend on the internet. So that kind of offerings, and we don't force them, right? But giving them a map and offering them practices uh, from across this world of embodiment, I think we're pretty good at that. And so people who are already facilitators could do this certification and then kind of add this as a layer on to what they're all, if they're teaching five rhythms or, or whatever they're already doing, they can add this on to, um, to deepen that practice. hundred percent. So we, we get people who are like, I want to be an embodiment coach. We get people who are already coaches and they want to add the body. So they're like, Hey, I'm an executive coach, but what the hell is this? Blow my neck, you know? Um, and then we get, a good I don't know how number. to use this. Yeah. Like what is, I know this matters, but what do I do here? You know? <laughs> they're, they're fun. They're great. And they're normally very dedicated and it's cute. We send them to their first ever dance class and they freak out and cry and have a break. With it. it's great. Um, and then the other group are like yoga teachers, dance teachers, martial arts teachers who know the body really well, but they like, they either want a bigger framework because maybe they know Aikido really well, like I did, but they don't know the wider yes. world. Um, or they just want to layer it in like they're already teaching movement medicine or something awesome like that and they just want to like layer it into what they're already doing which is, is totally fine with us like i believe in principles and not gurus you know it's, it's yes me and christina teach it so there's two very she's german very different vibe different embodiment practice so two very different teachers teaching it and our attitude is like you need to learn the principles of embodiment and apply it in your way because my students are grown-ups you know they're not babies who can be told what to do that sounds sounds excellent i'm going to check that out myself mm. so if if oh. people want to find out more they can go to your website is that the best place to yeah, all the app depending on what they like both have got okay. a load of free speakers from the embodiment conference we did including a lot of the big trauma names i mentioned there's podcasts there, there's videos of speakers, there's PDFs of things on coaching and trauma, yoga, conscious dance, obviously. Um, so either the app or the website. And that will also let you know, like, we do free events about every month or two. So if people want to taste, they can come to one of those. And also getting on your mailing list because you yeah. you send a lot of emails about different things. So um, yeah. and far, I, um, far too many people on our list. But <laughs> We squeeze a few more in. It's uh, ridiculous already. <laughs> so the website is embodimentunlimited.com. And I will have the links to all of these in the in the show notes. Uh, you're also on Facebook. Not for the easily offended. Just want to say that <laughs> best behavior today. Facebook is anyone from Portland who's going to get upset. <laughs> don't go on my Facebook. Instagram okay. is a bit you, cleaner. Instagram you've been warned. Cleaner. I have a Ukrainian <laughs> refugee we gave a job to, and she makes sure I don't post anything too bad on Instagram. But, that was, but if you you're being monitored, well, okay. The internet, all this stuff comes up. The books, the podcasts, the websites. Yeah. I don't even know anymore. It's like a whole ecosystem. Yes, it is another world. Yes, and you're also on Instagram. Work Malsh. Lots of nice little videos for people that like that. Okay. Yeah, Mira, Mira's 25 and she's taught me how to do these little videos that people like. So I do like a few videos every week that are one minute long, which I find quite accessible because people could just, yes. you know, I find it a great way of tasting a teacher's work. So I'm glad young Mira taught me that. 
It's always more to learn. There is. Go listen to the kids. They know stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and then we have YouTube at Embodiment Channel. I think so. so. I think we've got three channels now, but if they put my name into YouTube, they'll find it. Okay. So that that's one of them. And podcast. So the podcast is where? If people want to find it, they can find it from the website or the app or we where does one find it? It's iTunes, uh, the Play Store, Tinder, okay. Grinder, OK Keep. No, none of those places. Um, so it's iTunes and the Play Store, the normal places you find podcasts. Okay. Yeah, and it's called the Embodiment Podcast. So you can look for it there. And also the organization that you started, saneukraine.org, for anyone who wants to know more about that. If Elon Musk there. is listening, if Elon Musk is listening, give them lots of money. Okay. If you're out there. <laughs> there we go. They won't go to me. I don't get any of it, but there'll be some well, very appreciative. Maybe we'll hashtag <laughs> hashtag Elon Musk so he can watch this. Good. All right. Well, thank you, Mark. Thank you for being here and for sharing your wisdom with us today and, and all the things that you've done and, and all the places that we can go to learn more about embodiment. I think that's very helpful for everyone at this point in time. Leslie, my pleasure. And I want to I wanna hear offline what it's like uh, in Egypt and stuff there as well. You got me curious. So my pleasure. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for being here. And thank you to all the listeners for being here. Uh, we have other episodes of the podcast. There's a, a playlist. So if you're interested to see other episodes, you can have a look at that. We also have a community on Facebook. Gave you the wrong link there. We do have a community on Facebook. And you can go to my website, universaldancer.com. And also I teach a very basic foundation course as dance as a spiritual practice. And that's universaldancer.thinkific.com. So I think between my resources and Mark's resources, there's a lot to think about. There's a lot to look at and to learn more. And I hope you will be curious because this is an important topic. And as Mark said, there's a lot of resources out there. The app, I have downloaded the app and I've looked at it a bit, but I'm definitely going to spend more time there seeing what's, what's on there. All right. Well, thank you for being here. And I hope we see you again next time. Bye-bye.